0: Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. Let's go, let's go. Well, welcome back to our trek through the book of James. Uh, we're going to start at chapter five. We're making a slow descent toward the runway to land this thing. I uh, we've been maybe eight or nine, ten episodes now on James, and I, I think we're going to finish up in one more episode, uh, but today we'll just take about first half of chapter five and then finish up next time. And has, as has been the case in most of the chapter divisions in James, the transition from chapter four to five is one it is one of continuation, rather than of leaving one theme and beginning another. I mean, at the end of chapter four, he had just been rebuking the self-sufficient entrepreneur who was going to go to a certain place, do certain things, get predictable financial results. You know, he just kind of had his whole life mapped out financially. And James confronted him for his self-reliance and for proceeding without, you know, consulting the creator. And, and like I've been saying all along throughout the letter, James addresses and undresses classism, you know, that idea and, and, and the not only an idea, but the lifestyle that one human being is better than another based on external things like economics or social standing, whatever. And James' theme is that Christianity and classism clash. Uh, You you, you can't be the kind of Christian that James, uh, to say nothing of his half-brother Jesus, approved of, and at the same time judge the relative worth of other human beings based on their socioeconomic success or their race or any external factor for that matter. I was thinking about that phrase, making a killing. We use it to describe, you know, a good financial deal uh, in the stock market, or you just sold something, or in the real estate market. It's an an interesting colloquialism, don't you think? But I I wonder who or what is being killed and who benefited from the killing. Well, that's kind of what James addresses here. So chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now the message Bible uh, paraphrase these two or three verses as this way. A final word to you, arrogant rich. Take some lessons in lament. You need, you'll need buckets for the tears when the crash comes upon you. Your money is corrupt and your fine clothes stink. Your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut, destroying your life from within. You thought that uh, you were piling up wealth. What you've piled up is judgment end quote. Well, again, please note that this, what we've just read, directly follows what he had just said to the boasting entrepreneur who's going to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants, and get whatever he wants. And and so now the question is, at whose expense? Who does he have to hurt or even kill uh, to get what he wants? And James is, is saying that this arrogant attitude is not only unadvisable, but it's sinful and, and, and socially destructive. It makes a killing, uh, but who is the killer and who did they who did they kill? By the way, it's pretty clear that he's talking to professing, professing Christians here. He's, like I've said before, he, he didn't address the letter to the Elk Lodge. Not that there aren't Christians in the Elk Lodge. I'm just saying it He addressed it to the church. I mean, it would have been one thing if he said, you know about all those rich people out there outside the church, those unbelievers who blah, blah, blah. But he he addresses these people directly. Now listen, you rich people. He's talking to the church. The same people that he talked to in chapter two about seating the rich man or the poor man when they come into the door of the church, remember that? And it sounds an awful lot like uh, Malachi 3.5. And it says, so I, Malachi said, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and then against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty, End quote. Now, even though I want to, I'm not going to go off on a tangent on Malachi, but we've all heard the famous passage on tithes and on robbing God of tithes, right? That just comes three verses later. After Malachi rebukes employers for robbing, robbing laborers of their wages, he confronts them for robbing God of his tithe. You know, i guess there'd be a lot more sermons have been preached uh, about robbing God than robbing workers. I just think that's the case, I'm just saying. Anyway, back to James, who said, you have been piling up wealth. In other words, you're not sharing it, you're hoarding it. What do you need such a big pile of money for? You know, again, back to the poor man that he talked about coming into their church. He need, That guy needs more than a good seat in the service. He has other needs, survival needs, physical needs. And you, you just can't send him away with a pat on the back and platitudes. And, and so then when James refers to the last days, he says you've been piling up money for the last days. <clears throat> I mean, is he talking about the generic last days ever since you know, the resurrection up to the return of Jesus, because that can be called the last days and is in the New Testament often called the last days. Or is he referring to the last of the last days uh, as though those these greedy Christians were using the excuse that they had to stockpile their resources because time is short and they have to take care of themselves. And then what about the poor? Well, they'll just have to take care of themselves, you know. And it's kind of every Christian for himself. Um, I don't know if he's talking about the last of the last days or the last days in a generic way, but it's possible that he's referring to people that have to feel, you know, they're feeling like they need to stockpile. And he says there's a misery that is coming upon them. Maybe he had, you know, AD 70 in mind uh, when the Romans under Titus decimated Jerusalem. Because Jesus, in uh, his teaching in the upper room, uh, I should say on the, uh, uh, on the Mount of Olives, referred to that cataclysm off and on throughout that teaching, by the way, as, as kind of a precursor for his, ultim, uh, you know, his ultimate return to judge the unrighteous and reward the righteous. I don't know if he's talking about eighty seventy. <clears throat> that misery that is coming on them, or a particular crash, or the end of times. I mean, Revelation 18, if you read that, you'll see that it speaks of a similar imploding of uh, of the world economy where uh, the rich uh, weep and mourn over their financial losses, the huge crash, crash a global uh, e- economic crash, and maybe James is referring to, to a dress rehearsal of the coming of Jesus, uh, or maybe the final judgment on a corrupt and greedy economic system. The warning's the same. I mean, it's not every Christian for himself or herself. It's, you know, what Micah said, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. You know, if if God entrusts wealth to us, We we have this fearful responsibility to use it in God-honoring ways and not pile it up and then compare our pile to everyone else's pile, like we're in competition with each other. Either way, we're going to face a performance review of how we stewarded our lives and our resources here. Paul said it plainly, uh, plainly, uh, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due Do us for the things while done uh, done while in the body, whether good or bad. And then James, you know, he wants to know how how did you get that pile of money? I mean, what did you have to do to acquire so much wealth? Because listen, just justice has as much to do with the with the just acquisition of wealth as the just distribution of it. So James says, look. In verse 4, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed their fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Uh, let me just stop there and say, doesn't that remind you of what we just read <clears throat> out, of, uh, out of Malachi when he rebuked his, his generation for the very same thing uh, that the employers not taking care of their employees And and so James says, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth, he says in verse 5, in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who wasn't opposing you. Tim Keller uh, uh, relates a story about this unbelieving textile worker in Hong Kong, who accepted a Christian man's invitation to attend a church service. And so afterward, they went out to coffee and he told the Christian man how the preacher had, you know, rightly identified uh, the, the sins that he needed to confess to God. Laziness, a violent temper, addiction to cheap entertainment, various, various things like that. You know, individual sins, personal sins, personal morality issues. But then, and you know, in the... The guy that invited him to church was pretty excited about, you know, wow, he's going to repent. But then the man said how disappointed he was that nothing had been said in the sermon about his boss's sins. He said nothing about how he employs child laborers, or how bad our working conditions are, or how he puts false labels on the products or how he forces us to do overtime without pay. And so the worker decided not to go to that church anymore, whose message only seemed to apply to him and not not to the boss. And you say, well, you shouldn't worry about other people's sins. You should repent of your own. But his point was he was was assessing whether or not to come to Christ. And when he heard the gospel message preached and the sins that God forgives people of, uh, he didn't preach to the boss. He didn't preach to the employer. And that, to me, shows uh, how our idea of holiness has a hole in it. I mean, in other words, we're, we're apt to rail against certain private morality issues, and then we just conveniently overlook a lot of you know social sins. We talk to the worker, but not to the employer about their sins. We tell people in our churches to repent of their lusts and addictions but not their selfish misuse of privilege. So my question is, when do we, like James, preach against our classism, our racism, our greed? Again, hear what James says in his rebuke. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of God Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. I mean, he goes as far as to call this murder. I mean, doesn't that seem a little extreme? You know, murder, to call this murder? But, But think about it this way. Can't it lead to murder when the powerful take from the powerless? I mean, isn't it? a form of murder when the class above steps on the heads of the class below to get where they are. And don't the powerless actually sometimes die, actually die in the process, <clears throat> maybe not right in front of the wealthy landowner or in the purview of the corporate heads who screw the little guys, rape the land and pollute the air. But somewhere down the line, people die if not from hunger or <clears throat> lack of shelter uh, but maybe of diseases that they can't afford to treat or pollution-caused conditions. I mean, the rich guy doesn't see it from his corporate office on the 25th floor, but people do die, and James calls it murder. Notice he says that they condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing them. What's that about? I mean, it's not like they were... Defending themselves against a dangerous enemy. These were just the poor laborers who, because of their greed, uh, didn't, they didn't pay them what they owed them and were therefore made even poorer. And they misused their power, the power of their wealth and, and their status, to oppress those who didn't have either of those things. And, and they, like Jeremiah uh, said, they follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. That's a quote, Jeremiah 23.10. Now, hear me. Of course, not every wealthy person gets their wealth on the backs of the poor. Not every rich person got there by ripping other people off. Many people in the world today, maybe many is a stretch, but practice capitalism with a conscience. I call it capitalism with a conscience. They're, they're the people that look at the big picture in their business dealings and how their acquisition of wealth is, they, they never make it at the expense of other people. They never rise by putting others down. And, you know, they think about their social responsibility and how, in the supply chain of the products that they make, how other people are affected. And they refuse people that have this. Uh, that have capitalism with a conscience, they refuse to make an extra million dollars by screwing the little guys in their supply chain. They don't rape and pollute the environment. They see to it that no one somewhere that that no one somewhere down the line, uh, you know, people die, and whether by poverty or by working conditions or whatever. And I'm finding that there is a growing number of socially responsible business models cropping up these days. It's really a, a cool thing in my opinion. And their goals are not just about personal wealth. They put people bef- be- before profit and they choose to sacrifice some of their own bottom line in order to avoid disadvantaging the poor and the powerless, if not outright benefiting them. And, and I've, I've come across some entrepreneurial Uh, business models with multiple bottom lines they call it multiple bottom lines instead of having just one bottom line that is you know making money for themselves they prioritize other bottom lines justice to their employees and everyone in their supply chain and even the environment i mean look it up on google and see if you can find multiple bottom lines and see if you you catch what i'm saying On the other hand, James rebukes the greedy man or the corporation uh, that, if not directly, indirectly, condemns and murders the innocent, people who can't fight back with people that don't have as much clout as that business owner or corporation head. Isaiah also chastised the rich for using their wealth as as leverage over the poor. In Isaiah 3.14, he said, your houses are filled with things stolen from the poor. How dare you crush my people, grinding the faces of the poor into the the dust, Uh, end quote. I like Wendell Berry's statement, do unto others, do unto those downstream. (laughs) I started to say do unto others because we're used to the golden rule, but he kind of rephrased it and said, do unto (laughs) others, I said it again, (laughs) Well, let me say the whole thing of Jesus now. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, Wendell Berry said, do unto those downstream as you would have those upstream do unto you. Upstream, downstream. Make sense? (laughs) So the bottom line is, is money, it, it buys clout. You know this to be true. A wealthy student athlete gets away with raping a fellow student and just with a slap on the wrist. A rich and famous football star gets away with murdering his wife, right? A CEO is fired for robbing the company, goes to a white collar resort jail for two years and comes out with a $47 million bonus. Those are all true. Those are all real stories you can also inherit leverage as well as buy it so you know the the majority culture in any country for instance will always have the power they need to bless or oppress those in the minority and history shows that they we will surrender that power with no small struggle i mean we're we're going to we're going to fight against surrendering our power and our and our uh, leverage over others. And, and when we realize that our majority status is being threatened and that others are beginning to outnumber us, as uh, uh, we wall ourselves into our safe havens, right? Uh, threaten our majority status, and it's game on for a lot of people. Russell Moore said, quote, Left to ourselves, the majority will always protect the powerful and forget the weak. That's especially true when the weak at issue are not only powerless, but invisible, quote. And then Timothy Keller again said, <clears throat> The strong must disadvantage themselves for the weak, the majority for the minority, or the community frays and the fabric breaks end quote. I'm I'm just saying that most of us are complicit in the oppression of the the wealthy over the poor, whether by direct, unjust treatment, or by indirect consuming of products that were made on the backs of the poor and unjustly treated. I mean, some of them were, quote, condemned, which implies that they were unjustly treated in court. And the wealthy have the resources to get the best lawyers, if not bribe the witnesses against the poor. <clears throat> and for what? Just for more money. And the prophets, they railed on two main things. I've, I read through all the prophets last year, and, and it seemed like there were two main things that they railed on. Idolatry, no, no uh, puzzlement there, no surprise there idolatry, and injustice. I notice this over and over. Jeremiah, for instance, in Jeremiah 22, 13 to 17. It's a long quote, but let me read this. Jeremiah 22, quote, Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build my house a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes his large windows in it, panels it with cedar, and decor- decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have you more uh, to have more and more cedar? Does did not your father have uh, food and drink? He did was, what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is not that what it means to know me? Declares the Lord. End quote. So he he rails on the the uh, the person who who you know lives in a palace with uh, and by injustice doesn't pay his workers and builds himself this this great mansion and while people outside are starving and and then he says but your father. Uh, your fathers before you did what was right and just, and they defended the cause of the poor and needy, and everything went well. And he says, "Is not that what it means to know me?" Meaning, that's what it means to know me if you uh, live justly, if you uh, if you live justly and uh, walk humbly with God. If you if you uh, if you disadvantage yourself to advantage somebody who doesn't have your same innate or inherited advantages. That's what it means to know me. I'd like you to think about that because oftentimes we think, what does it mean to know God? Well, you pray and you go to church and you really love Jesus. and Yes, all those things are true. But how many of us say what it really means to know God is that we defend the cause of the poor and needy? Anyway, well, I think it was Craig Greenfield who said, when human systems uh, distribute God-given resources in a way that places a small fraction of humanity in luxury while a billion people live on or die on less than a dollar a day, can that be anything other than sin, end quote? I mean, so there are corporations and businesses that use child labor and slave labor for blood diamonds, for chocolate, for clothing, for digital devices millions of people work in sweatshops and work for pennies an hour to to clothe folks who who can spend 20 to 220 on a on a shirt or a pair of pants and that's why james says the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the lord almighty you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence I, I, I know that what I'm saying to some of you sound like the rantings of a lefty liberal activist, you know, against corporate America. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, is saying these things. And even John Calvin preached these things. Even Jonathan Edwards preached these things, the the famous preacher of sinners in the hands of an angry God. And John Wesley, uh, the founder of the Methodist Church. Preach these things about, you know, wicked practices of the rich over the poor laborers. Look it up. Google those guys, Calvin, Edwards, Wesley. See, preachers that identify not only individual sins, but institutional ones, they get accused of liberalism or socialism. Listen, it's not socialism. It's just biblical Christianity to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly, just like Micah said. And, and, you know, listen, far be it from me to name the names of corporations who, who use slave labor and unjust socioeconomic and environmental practices in their, you know, supply chains. And I'm not going to ma- name politicians whose policies abuse the environment and, and abuse the vulnerable, take advantage of the vulnerable in order to benefit the rich. But I will ask you this: aren't we complicit in their injustice, these business owners, corporations and politicians? aren't we complicit in their injustice when we buy the corporation's products? because you know they're cheaper or, or we vote for the politician you know into office because you know we stand to benefit socioeconomically by their policies? How are we not guiltless if we vote with our you know vote with our money in our buy, in our purchasing or at the ballot box for people like that. And James says their cries have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. There are prayers in other words, that arrive in heaven and are heard by the God who cares about the just distribution of wealth and power. see because he's a God who who says, There are no classes among us. There is no caste system in his system. No one is greater than anyone else to God. And he listens to the cries of the poor and the victimized. Listen, maybe even more than the prayers of other people, certainly more than the prayers of the victimizers. I never really thought about that word, victimizers. But... James made it clear when he said, when you ask, you did not receive because you ask with the wrong, wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That was back in chapter four, verse three. But in chapter five, he says, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. I, I wonder how many of us hear what God hears. I mean, do he hears the cries of the harvesters, do we hear what he hears? And, and what about God's cries, God's tears? I mean, can we hear the cries of the God who hears the cries of the oppressed? Christopher Hewitt said, I, I believe that God is using the cries of our friends who suffer in poverty today to call the church out of its soundproof sanctuaries, quote. And James goes on to say, You fatten yourselves in the day of slaughter these oppressors that he's addressing, they get fat with the food that belongs to other people. And it, it's, it's not like they, they can take that food and fat with them, right? Like we say, you can't take your money with you. Well, you can't take your food and your fat with you. The Message Bible says about this verse, you've looted the earth and lived it up, but all you have to show for it is a fatter than usual corpse. End quote. Now, be careful not to separate what he says next from what he has been saying about the rich oppressing the poor. He, he's about to, in, in the next paragraph, it's this isn't a new topic that he's he's been speaking directly to the victimizers, and now he's going to turn to the victims. It's the same topic, but he's going to speak to the victims as opposed to the victimizers. He's been disturbing the comfortable, and now he's going to turn to comfort the disturbed. And in no uncertain terms, I mean, he's told the upper class to quit looking down on the lower. And now, with equal clarity, he's going to tell the lower class to look up. Not up to their betters, not up to the upper class, but up to the best, up to God. In verse 7, he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. In other words, uh, he's now talking to the people that the oppressors have oppressed, and he's telling them to be patient. But, You know, it is late. This has kind of been long. And so I'm going to continue this next time, which I think will be our last time on the James Epistle. But for now, I I know this has been, you know, very severe language. James wasn't one to pull punches, that's for sure. And I wonder how many of us cope with severity like this in the Scripture by applying it to somebody else. I mean, I, I know I've done that with th- with this passage, these passages and other scriptures, but I want to encourage us to 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 hear the cries of the poor and join the one who weeps with them. But let's not just stop there. let's let's not just weep with the weeper of heaven, but let's find ways to relieve some of the world's weeping and world's suffering and and for sure, and for sure, let's not worsen their suffering by prospering at their expense. So let me let me conclude again with the Franciscan benediction that I, I love so well and uh, I've shared before. And with what we've studied, it might make even a little bit more sense to, to us now. Here it goes. Here's a piece of it. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice and kindness to all our children and to the poor. Amen.